AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of. One that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to the podcast. This is Kristen. And this is Molly. So Molly, today we're talking about hair. And when I was thinking about this topic of women's hair and its place in my life, I immediately remembered this thing that happened to me when I was in the ninth grade. Um, as you know, I was homeschooled for a very long time. And then uh, my parents decided to put me in real high school, if wow. you will. So, you know, it wasn't a very hard transition. The first day of school, I met this girl and we totally hit it off. And I came home and I was like, high school's going to be awesome. I've got this BFF. We get along so well. And she had, um, I, I had really short hair at the time and she had really long, pretty dark hair. And about a month into school, she got this haircut and it was pretty short. She got, a, it wasn't like a pixie cut, but she got, she got a lot of it cut off. It's pretty dramatic cut. I went to school the next day and our entire like social life just changed. Oh, she was like Felicity. Yes. She was like Felicity when Felicity cuts her hair off, except I wasn't a big fan of Felicity's haircut, but my friend's haircut looked amazing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, all the popular girls just swooped in and wanted to be friends with her. All the jocks started paying attention to her because as you can imagine, I was a little bit of a dork, if you will, in high school. No, not you, Kristen. And uh, and this whole haircut changed everything because uh, for some reason she started turning all these heads, and you know, gradually she was she was pulled away from me into the more popular crowd, and I blamed it all on that haircut. But my hair was too short; I couldn't cut it anymore, <laughs> so I couldn't pull the same couldn't pull the same trick. I just had to wait for it to grow out. Um, but anyway, I just thought that that was for me that was the most. Um, important, I guess, haircut 
of my formative years. And it wasn't even your haircut. And it wasn't even mine. And I don't know why it sticks in my head so much. But, you know, we obsess about other people's haircut. Think about um, when Britney shaved her head. Oh, yeah. It was news for days. Yeah. That, but- that was almost like more than the pictures of her being wheeled out on a gurney from her house. That was the sign to everyone that she'd lost it. That she'd lost it when she had the, the razor in her hand mm-hmm. and was shaving it. Yeah. I mean, that's the sign of a woman just... She's, she, like you said, she's lost it. And that's because I think, you know, what you learned in the ninth grade is that we have such an emotional attachment to our hair. Well, some of us have a physical attachment. It's on our scalp. Yes. But the emotional attachment and the power associated with it, the, the social stigmas associated with it, they're just overpowering in a woman's life. Yeah. And, and this goes way back in history. Like men and women have always, um, taken a certain pride in, their head of hair. I think, is it the Bible that refers to it as your crowning glory? You've got the story of Samson and Delilah, where he's so strong until Delilah cuts his locks off and he loses all of his power. And uh, I was reading the encyclopedia of hair, actually, and they noted that um, even the Venus of Willendorf, which goes back to what? 30,000 BC, some way, way back. Even, even in those very crude statues, um, there are, there's evidence of some kind of hair decoration. And I remember you sent me a little tidbit from the encyclopedia of hair that fascinated me that in colonial America, um, a husband had to get permission for his wife to cut her hair. It was considered like one of his possessions and no one could touch it unless he said it was okay. Yeah, he legally owned her hair. And then there's um, the whole connection between shaving a head as a sign of submission. Um, there's a really famous photograph from, I think it's post-World War II, when uh, this French woman has her head shaved because she had a baby with a Nazi soldier. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk about all the different ways people can judge us based on how our hair looks. And since you started off this podcast with a story about short hair, let's go with length. Because I think that no matter how long your hair is, someone's go- someone could make a judgment call about you on it. Like you said, the woman who had her head shaved, that was seen as a form of punishment, a form of exerting control over her because it was so short. And that seems to be how historically this shapes out. Very short hair is considered, I mean, bad, except in the case of your friend, and long hair is considered much better because it's a sign of health, it's a sign of attractiveness, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and according to, again, the Encyclopedia of Hair, longer hair has been a cross-cultural sign of gender differentiation between men and women for for ages. So when we think of, you know, long hair, it's more typically feminine. For instance, um, a friend of mine's nephew has this gorgeous long hair. And the first time he introduced himself to me, he was, I don't know, he's maybe five or six years old. He, he told me his name and he said, I'm a boy. <laughs> and he had, and, and my friend later explained to me that he told me he was a boy because he has this gorgeous long hair and people, people often, you know, mistake him for, for being a girl simply because his hair is long. Right. So, and, you know, I've talked before about how I had very little hair when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I didn't have long hair, even at a somewhat advanced age for a young child, people thought I was a boy. So very early on, that is how we tell apart our girls from our boys. Yes. But obviously today, women have the you know freedom and the luxury to sport whatever kind of hairdo they want. We've got Posh Spice. Victoria Beckham, who has the super short hairdo um, that actually my sister, one of my sisters, has uh, emulated. And uh, then you have, you know, like uh, when Natalie Portman shaves all of her hair off for V for Vendetta, and she looks still amazing. <laughs> 
Um, Girl's got a pretty head. She does have a beautiful head. And I found um, a study in Psychology Today talking about how men rate faces based on whether they have shorter or longer hair. And this was done at a university in Hungary. And I thought it was interesting because they said that women with longer hair seem healthy, intelligent, and mature. Okay, nice. While women with short hair are seen as more youthful, honest, caring, and emotional. But in general, even though women with short hair have those, you know, nice characteristics, those nice associations, um, men usually prefer longer hair because they think of it as the sign of fertility. Right. And that was borne out by a study we found in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, where basically they went around and asked women, are you single? Are you married? You know, who's looking for a man, essentially? And it correlated that the women with longer hair were single. It was seen as this sign of a visible sign of, hey, I'm here. Come hit on me. Yeah, I'm here. I take care of my hair. I will be a healthy mother. But Molly, we refer to these kinds of studies a lot. It goes back to evolutionary biology, why we do what we do. And it all kind of starts boiling down to these, you know, women are looking for a mate and an appropriate person to be around when we have children. And to me, though, you know, they have their place. But I don't know, in the conversation about hair, like, I don't have long hair right now because I am looking for an appropriate father for my future children. You have long hair because you haven't gotten a haircut in a while? Yeah. I don't know if a man would think that because there was this advice column in the Daily Mail out of England where a guy wrote in and said, uh, my wife has short hair. Does that mean she doesn't want to have sex? And it spurred this whole long article where all these relationship experts weighed in and hairstylists weighed in. And they came, I mean, I came away from reading that article that yes, if you have short hair, you are somehow saying, I don't want to have sex with the man either because that's not my sexuality. I just became a mom or I feel really unattractive right now. Or Molly, how about the idea that, um, women don't feel like they need to, um, aren't on some, crazed hunt to the point that they are shaping their hairstyles around whether or not it's going to be attractive to the opposite sex. But how can you think that when I found this men's fitness article written by Jen A. Miller that dissected every single haircut and told you what it meant in relation to whether the girl would like you or yeah, not? This was a very scientific formula for uh, for decoding women's haircuts. Why don't you toss out a couple of the best? Okay, if like? you have boy short hair, what this means, this is what they're telling men a boy short haircut means. Either this girl just went through a breakup or she's confident enough to have a cut like her brother's. If it's the latter, she's an independent gal who doesn't need to hide behind her hair. You'll have to work for her favor, though. There's a good chance she can match your every move in bed and out. Yeah, Molly, the thing that I I thought was kind of funny about the article you're referring to was no matter the haircut, whether it was boy short, long, highlighted, whatever, it all just ended up with, She's going to be crazy in the sack. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that kind of discredits some of Jen A. Miller's advice. Yeah. None of these haircuts are, are any, any, should be any turnoff at all. Although I will say I was, um, struck by extensions or weaves. What that means, according to Jen A. Miller, is that she's willing to do anything to impress you because of the time that's involved. Or she's an impatient, spoiled brat who always demands instant gratification. Yeah. Was a, yeah. But, I mean, that's how men think, I guess. What I mean, men out there, long hair, short hair. Do you think that there's power in, in women's hair? We were reading about how um, back when there were witches, people yeah. thought that the witch got her power from her hair. So that would be like the first line of attack is get that hair off that witch's head. They would cut the hair off. But, Molly, okay, so if we're talking about, though, 
hair and attraction. To me, the first phrase that comes to mind Mm -hmm. is blondes have more fun. I don't Mm -hmm. think that it's so much about length. I think that, you know, if you have a a good haircut is a good haircut, whether it is short and it shows off your striking jawline and cheekbones, or if it's long and frames your face in a lovely way, whatever. Good haircut is good haircut. I think that color makes a bigger impact. And I was struck, um, first I wanted to investigate whether blondes had more fun. I, I was looking at all the three, the three main hair colors, in my opinion. Well, Molly, we are, we, we are coming at this from a biased angle. We are both brunettes. We're both brunettes. And apparently, according to all the research I found, we apparently are just having no fun at all, Kristen. But we are successful. We're successful because <laughs> we won't get fired because we have a nice conservative hair color. <laughs> but according to the Daily Mail in 2006, redheads are having much more sex than blondes or brunettes. All right. But tell that to the New York Daily News. Two years later, they found that blondes have better sex than all the other hair colors, and they have more confidence. Well, that was bottle blondes. It wasn't necessarily natural blondes. They were saying that women who, like, if I go and I bleach my hair blonde, can you imagine that? (laughs) I can't at all. Um, If I go and bleach my hair, then I'm going to have so much more confidence. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to ask for a raise. And I'm going to go start approaching more people to date me it's and that, become a wildcat. The other examples in those articles were that you'd be more willing to sing on top of a table. Yeah. I mean, you don't see a brunette doing that. I have to say all the times I've been out with you, Kristen, I've been like, if only she would get up on a table and sing right now. <laughs> if only you were blonde. But I think the big thing that's coming out um, are the so-called gray wars. I was reading this 2007 Time article about how um, women are just... Faced with this conundrum about whether to dye their hair once it starts to turn gray. Yeah, because uh, in the early 20th century, gray was actually considered a distinguished hair color for a woman. They thought that it was complementary to a woman's skin. It was a natural sign of aging and wisdom. But now we do so much to keep away the gray, my mom included. And this is like most things we talk about has become this sort of, I don't know, battle over what feminism means today. Something as simple as hair color. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have so many more women um, serving as CEOs, serving elected offices, holding these high positions of power. But they feel they can only hold these high positions of power if they look young, youthful, healthy. And as we've said, you know. Long hair apparently designates better health, and so too does a hair color that's not gray in this day and age. Yeah, one point that Ann Kramer, who wrote this Time article that we're referring to, uh, mentions is she says of the 16 female U.S. senators um, who range in age from 46 to 74, not a single one has a visible gray hair. That's odd. 74? And then that same article, there was this 2005 Procter & Gamble survey. 65% of women had colored their hair in the previous year. So it's it's definitely becoming more of a trend, but the argument that's made in this article is that it's just as divisive, you know, the same way the battle between stay-at-home moms and working moms, you know, which choice is better for you as a woman, for your children, and they're saying, can you really be open and honest about who you are as a person, which we're always told to do as women, if you dye your hair? Is it denying your natural self? Right, because uh, according to research by Clairol, very famous, you know, brand of hair dye. Um, they reported that 71% of women who dye their hair do so in order to look and feel more attractive. And they're obviously associating being attractive with, you know, not having 
um, gray hair, not having the, the sign of older age. You're still associated with youth. Right. So it's, it's the question of who is your best self? If you're 60, is it still the person you were when you were 30? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I can't answer that question yet. Yeah. I personally hope that I get my grandmother's hair because it turned so bright white and it was awesome. I hope I get that Emmy Lou Harris hair. That long, curly, gray hair. Mm -hmm. But I did find it interesting that same article points out that hair dye only became really popular in the 1950s. Because if you did it before that, before sort of that um, at-home hair dye craze, you were kind of thought of as trampy. Mm -hmm. But now, Encyclopedia of Hair pointed out, highlights, number one request. Number one requested salon service. Yep. But Molly, when we're talking about getting highlights mm-hmm. or coloring your hair or even just going in for the routine trim every yeah. couple of months or so as you're supposed to do. At least that's what my stylist <laughs> tells me to do. It adds up very fast. Hair yes. care is a huge industry in the U.S. And uh, there was an article in the, I believe it was the Daily Mail, that reported that a British woman spends 36,000 pounds Okay, and that's just pounds. So let's convert that to dollars these days. What is that? I don't, I don't know. know. Like $70,000, $75,000 on her hair in a lifetime. Yeah. And she spends the equivalent of just under two years of her entire life washing, styling, cutting, coloring, crimping, and straightening locks. Now imagine how much more time men are spending or the women who are smart and have the short hair and they can just rinse and go. But I mean, short, that's more, that's more time in a salon getting those regular trims. It's true. There's no win on this. And so that, I mean, the very, the fact that we walk around with any hair at all shows we're making this huge financial investment in our hair. You know, we were talking about how it was the sign of attraction and openness to mate. It's also a sign to men to some extent or women that we have money. Yeah, I, I would definitely relate to that. When I was in, again, when I was in high school, I remembered looking at the, you know, the popular girls who were usually, you know, more wealthy and they had this insane hair and it come to find out it was because they had the money to go and get it, you know, professionally straightened and use insanely expensive products. And, you know, it makes, it makes a big difference, you know, when you see a starlet walking down the street with her, her beautiful quaff, it's going to mm-hmm probably look a lot better than your $5, you know, barbershop haircut. And to go along with time spent in salon, money spent on this, let's talk about ethnic hair. Because we're about, there's this movie that's going to come out pretty soon called Good Hair that was put out by Chris Rock. And Chris Rock maintains that a black woman's hair is the most expensive thing on her, more expensive than any item of clothing that she wears. Yeah, the uh, black hair Hair care industry uh, rakes in about $1.7 billion a year and all sorts of products and tools and all of that to tame to tame their hair. And in the advance of this movie, you may have seen a lot of articles about the politics of black hair. Tyra did her first show with her natural hair to make a statement about beauty. I think Oprah just did a show with Chris Rock where she revealed her natural hair. Um, there's a lot of talk about what Michelle Obama does with her hair versus the trip that Malia Obama went on to Europe where she wore twists in her hair. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of reading about um, how any choice that a black woman makes in terms of what to do with her hair, be it straighten it, relax it, or cornrows, braids, just pulling it back in a ponytail, you really can't walk down the street as a black woman 
without being judged for the decision you make. That's the point that many of these articles make. And Molly and I found a study by Tracy Owens Patton that really digs into this idea of the politics of black women's hair because she goes back to colonial America and slavery when women were you know, trying to um, assimilate more into white culture. And basically the argument is today, even by trying to straighten your hair out, using the hot iron, spending all the money on weave only to have, you know, the straighter, more Caucasian types of hair. It's simply today's form of still assimilating to white culture and not honoring your African roots. Right. And then there are others who say the choice to be able to straighten the hair is just as important as being in touch with your African roots because they have the power now to make that decision. But there's this question of, do you need to accept yourself as you are as a black woman? But what we've just talked about, Kristen, is that um, we none of us accept ourselves who we are if we dye our hair, if we cut it off, if we shave. I mean, everyone is manipulating their hair to some extent to prove a point to somebody. But Molly, I think that it is... It is kind of impossible, though, to generalize every woman's relationship with her hair because, especially going back to this, um, this paper we found by Tracy Owens Patton, the, the history, uh, that black women have with their hair is simply not the same as, you know, the history of, you know, a white woman and her right. hair. Because for instance, um, she talks about how, you know, in, in slave communities that straighter hair was associated more with a free person status and that people with more textured hair were usually sent to work out in the fields, whereas people with the straighter hair would work um, inside the plantation homes. And she even pointed out that the most vocal opponents of hair straightening were um, Booker T. Washington and Marcus Garvey and other abolitionists of the day. So even back then, the issue of hair was very politicized. And we're talking about it, you know, in 2009, you know, with the Good Hair documentary coming out with Michelle Obama. It's a, it's a conversation that's still going around today. And I thought what was most interesting about um, the stuff, the slavery stuff that you're bringing up is how if the woman did have straight hair that was very neat, um, even if she did work in the house, uh, if the mistress of the home got too jealous of the woman, she'd cut all her hair off. Mm-hmm. Just showing that even back then, women understood the power that hair has. And Molly, when you bring up, you know, shaving as a form of uh, demanding submission, it reminds me of a case that was brought up, I think it was in 1994, that we read about in the New York Times, where uh, a student, a female student at the Citadel, uh, was going to have to shave her head along with the other male cadets. And it went to court because they were saying that, you know, there's a patent difference between a guy having to have his head shaved and a girl having to have his head shaved. And I thought that it was a really um, interesting argument because the Citadel was saying that, no, she's going to have to go through the same experience as all the other cadets and it's going to be bonding. But on the other hand, people such as Naomi Wolf, who wrote the beauty myth, said, no, absolutely not. It's a shaming experience for a girl to have to go through. And I think that one person, I forget who was, even a defense of them shaving her head said, well, it'll at least keep other soldiers from raping her. Mm-hmm. Going back to this whole thing we were talking about before about... um Short hair is just not deemed as attractive as long hair because of these perceptions of ill health, insanity, um, you know, general poor physical state compared to those with longer hair. Yeah. And we're going to get into, uh, uh, like shorter hair and baldness specifically in the follow up podcast that we're doing. But, uh, 
but Molly, I think you bring up an interesting point about this connection between a woman's long hair specifically and her sexuality, because it goes back to, you know, if you think about, um, uh, the sirens, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day who would be luring all these men in while they were combing their long tresses. Yeah. And there are societies now that work on covering up that symbol of attractiveness. You know, you think about societies where a woman wears a veil or where when a woman gets married, then, you know, what might have been long ringlets go up into a bun or are cut off to symbol to symbolize the fact that she is now married. She's a woman. She belongs to this one man. And obviously, Molly, one of the first things that comes to mind probably when we talk about women who have to cover their hair because of modesty would be in the Muslim world where women have to wear burqas. And I think that we read um, also in the New York Times that after the Iranian Revolution, one of the very first laws that they really cracked down on was on women keeping their head covered and not showing any hair at all when they were out in public. And the Times went on to talk about these um, hair salons and how they're just immensely popular because the little hair that women can show, they want to look good. And how having great hair over there is seen as resistance, defiance to this um, cultural norm that's being enforced on them. Right. But also one thing that I, I really didn't know before this researching for this podcast was that Orthodox Jewish women are also required to to cover their hair in public. And then you have other um, other strands of religion, such as the Mennonites who have to wear it. It's it's not a full head covering, but the women will wear like what looks like kind of kerchiefs on their head. Um, and then there are also some Amish women who have to cover their hair in public as well. Yeah. Men's fitness doesn't really say how you interpret a woman who's got a head covering. Yeah. I guess they're really not considered on the market. But that's the thing is we use our hair to show people how we're on the market, even though we might just be walking around. With our hair in a ponytail because we're lazy. Yeah, I mean, I think it it says it does say a lot about you. I think that you do, and for men too. You know, the difference between a guy, you know, in a crew cut, and a guy standing beside him with a mohawk. You're going to see them, and they're probably you're probably going to judge them differently. And I think that your hair does say a lot about you, and I think that it can demonstrate a lot. You know, when I'm having a down day, my hair is up the top of my head and I could care less right now. Whereas if I want to feel, feel good and on top of the world, I'm going to actually wash my hair and maybe blow dry it. Maybe, maybe put a, put a hair bow in it. I don't know. (laughs) Right. It's a reflection of who you are for better, for worse, but it's just, it's, it seems weird to think that it's such a big deal because as people say, when they get a bad haircut, it's just hair. It's just hair. It's going to grow. It'll grow back. But there's no denying that a bad hair day can ruin your mood. But, Molly, I do have one fun factoid to close things out. Studies have shown that bad hair days affect men more than women. Wow. Yes, men supposedly get more upset about having a bad hair day than we do. Wow. Huh. But there's no denying the emotional power that hair has for everyone. Absolutely. When you start to lose it. And that is going to be the topic of our next podcast. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Stay tuned to hear about female baldness. Yes. Um, but in the meantime, if you have a story about your hair, particular style you like, did you go with the Rachel or not? Um, email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Maybe we'll throw some hairstyling tips on our blog, How To Stuff. And there are tons of articles about scalp care and hair care at HowStuffWorks.com. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today.